0: Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Salippek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleague Eduardo LeCubari, head of global small-cap strategy. Eduardo, welcome to the program. We've had a lot of conversations about you know where we are in the cycle right now. Are we headed into recession? How much downside we have? Are we in a soft landing? Goldilocks probabilities ticking up. From your perspective, looking at small and mid caps, where are we in the in the cycle, and what's your view right now?
1: I guess we can, you know, uh, looking at small mid-caps, perhaps we can add to to your perspective a, a different angle. Um, small mid-caps, they're only 20% of the market cap of equities uh, traded, but they are more than 80% of the companies that trade. And in fact, they're more than 90% of the workforce. So understanding what's going on with them helps a lot in trying to understand, uh, you know, the overall economy and the overall equity market and so on. And actually, when you look at companies, what they're doing, uh, the numbers, uh, reporting seasons, what's the message? It isn't looking that great, right? So the first thing you see is that 2023 is a year of tremendous margin pressure. And if you ask me, I think that continues next year. And the reason is very simple. You're looking at top line that is decelerating. And together with that, you still have inflation that hasn't completely, you know, gone back to where it used to be. And so cost of goods sold uh, continue to go higher. On top of that, you have wages, uh, which are gonna do a number on a lot of companies. To give you an example, if you look at the top quintile of small mid-caps on salary expense to EBITDA, well, just a 7% increase in wages will do away with 40% of EBITDA for those companies, unless they're able to pass it on to their customers. And then you have interest expense, uh, which is also going to do a number on a small makeups. So you're going to have companies that are going to see interest expense double and triple because interest rates have gone up so much, right? So 2023 and I think 2024 are years of monumental margin pressure. And you're seeing that on earnings growth that is decelerating. Uh, the sell side, I think, is way behind the ball on this, but uh, it's catching up. So we've seen downward revisions every month this year, and now you're seeing expectations of earnings growth on U.K. Smith, on U.S. Smith, in the very, very low single-digit number. Uh, and then you look at corporate sentiment itself, and for example, MA. well, the volume of that in terms of number of deals done year-to-date is kind of low. Um, and the number of bankruptcies, if you look at year to day bankruptcies in the U.S., for example, well, you have to go to 2009 or 2020 to find anything like it in the last quarter century. So I think the picture that you get when you're looking at the small mid-cap part of the economy is one of um, a slowing growth and trouble.
0: That's great, thanks for that update. The margin picture has become more challenging, but the, the, the tricky part has been, you know, when you have margins rolling off high levels, at what point does that actually produce layoffs? When when we look at the, the current picture, you know, smithcaps have already pulled back a bunch. Of, I, I think I know the answer to this. I, I assume you're not telling folks to get back in at these levels, right?
1: Well, it's, tr- it's very tricky. And in fact, uh, I've been doing this for close to 30 years. I don't remember another year where I've had uh, as many questions from investors eager to get back into Smith. Questions like, you know, what's the case for Smith now? How, you know, when is the time? Is it are we here already? Like people are eager to get back into small mid because they've fallen. And what makes this tricky is exactly that, right? So if you look at the MSI Europe small gap or you look at the FTSE 250 or even the Russell 2000, these indices are down 24% already. And historically, you, know, you only have so much history. The Russell is the one that has the most history. You have six recessions. And pick to trough is either a big recession, i.e. the last three and the index falls more than 40% you know, from the top to the bottom, or it is a mild recession, and then you're looking at 30 35% down. Well, we're down 24% already, and that's where the eagerness to get back into this as a class comes. It, It's not not an easy answer. Um, Look, the first thing you have to keep in mind is, if your view is in line with mine, which is that I think this ends up in recession, and so there is trouble ahead of us, it's kind of hard to, with conviction, buy into an asset class like a Smith, which is a beta play on the equity market, right? Um, That's first and foremost. Second thing is, whatever happens next, the key headwinds that we have this year, wages, interest expense uh, going up because of interest rates having gone up, uh, and so on and so forth. These, these things impact the small mid-caps more than large caps, right? So wages because they employ far more people, interest uh, rates going up because a much bigger percentage of their debt is floating. We're talking about you know 11 to 15% of large cap debt in US or Europe being floating. while 30 to 40% in, of a Smith debt is floating. Uh, and then there is also, if you believe we're heading into recession, then supposedly we should see, like we usually do, bank lending, uh, you know, getting tighter, and small mid caps depend a lot more on banks for you know for their debt. So the headwinds that the economy will, will have are gonna be far you know, stronger for Smith than large. Um and then there is the, the market itself. So yes, small meetups have fallen. But when you look today at the average actively managed portfolio uh, in a small meetup portfolio, there, uh, portfolio managers are not bearish. Or they're not defensively positioned, right? So CASA's percentage of AUM is near 15-year lows. And when you look at some of the key sectors in terms of what's today most overweight is industrials, is technology, is financial. So, you know, investors are clearly not defensively positioned. We have headwinds ahead of us. They're gonna hit us mid more than large. And this, at the end of the day, is a beta play on a on an economy that, in my opinion, is not gonna get better. It's gonna get worse. Do we buy into that right now? Uh, If you're thinking absolute returns, my suggestion is wait, because I think you'll get a better entry point. If you're thinking relative to large caps, let's just imagine you have to be invested in equities. You just want to know where. Then then, uh, my argument would be, look, I think relative to large, you've seen the bulk of the underperformance that you will see in this recession. You may lose a little bit more, but it's gonna be a little bit more, right? If you look at the Russell versus s it's underperformed by 15% from the 2021 high. Historically on average, peak to trough, it underperforms the SP by 5.5. This time it's 3X that. So you've seen the bulk of the underperformance. And the other thing to keep in mind is in the whole cycle of equities, the one time when you cannot afford not to be in a small mid-caps is the first 12 months post the equity market trough. Because in those first 12 months, the Russell, historically and consistently, tends to outperform the S&P by more than 25%. So relative to large, don't be too cute trying to pick the bottom, but I think you see most of the pain and start thinking about getting back in. Absolute returns, I think you'll get a better entry point.
0: Yeah, so that last point is an important one, Eduardo. Which is that you know if 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 small cap and mid cap are going to have big moves go going into the next cycle, you don't want to miss that. And it's kind of like getting long duration at the end of the uh, hiking cycle or business cycle as well. You 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 want to be positioned on that, and you're you're never going to time it perfectly. Um, you know, That's one thing big. I'd highlight is that you know in in general, you know, we have our overall broad big picture view, which may be to underweight stocks, but at the same time. We're also always looking for things as well to kind of diversify that places to get long, uh, things that we think are relatively safer, more attractive. So, So last year, of course, it was, you know, let's say, you know, in the broader allocation, let's say energy stocks and and UK stocks, which, you know, energy outperformed and UK underperformed the least. Uh, and so those turned out to be good calls. So similarly on your on your side, you know, even if overall, generally big picture on the house view, we're bearish on stocks. You know, uh, how are you? Uh, how do you think we should be positioning in, in the current environment?
1: Given our view, right, that things are not necessarily rosy. Here's a fact: If I go back to 1980 in the U.S., there are six hiking cycles, and of those six, four ended in recession, but in all those, you had to wait at least 14 months after the last hike for the S&P to reach the peak and then start falling. So perhaps if you're an investor here, the question is, all right, even if we get the direction right and you know the economy ends up having trouble and so on and so forth, is it a 2024 story that I have to worry about or is it a 2025 story? I don't know. The point we've made this year is, look, it may be 12, it may be 18 months from the start of this year, but this will end up with a recession and equities down. And from here till there, there are some things that you can do with conviction, right? So let's stick to those. And so year to day, what I've been recommending my, my clients do is focus on five thematics. The first one is interest rates have gone up more than any of those six cycles in the last, you know, thirty odd years, or actually half a century. So let's watch out for interest rates, and that means let's watch out for leverage balance sheets, right? So everything else equal, we prefer uh, uh, cash-rich balance sheets, and that's, you know, buying high, you know, the lowest quintile of net debt to EBITDA versus the highest quintile of net debt to EBITDA. Year today has made you twenty percent of alpha in the U.S. alone. So that thematic has worked, and I think it will continue. Second thing is wages. As we said before, they're going to have a big impact and it's going to be a 2023 impact that doesn't get deferred, right? And if wages keep going up, it'll be another 2024 impact. So stay away from labor intensive businesses. We prefer to buy labor light. Third thing is the year started with spec- consensus estimates of you 20 know, some percent earnings growth. And we thought there was no way that was going to come through because of all the margin pressure we were talking about before. And so what we've seen is every month, there's been downward revisions to consensus estimates and companies that get revised down and perform, right? They miss estimates, all the rest. So stay away from aggressive expectations because they're not going to come through this year and stay in companies that have expectations that are manageable. The fourth thing is, um, given that this is a year of margin pressure, you're much better off in businesses that have pricing power. Now, how do you judge that? Well, a proxy for that is companies that have high, higher than than peer margins, right? So we prefer to be in higher than industry average margin companies rather than low, looking for that pricing power and that ability to pass on the rising costs. And then the last thing, but very meaningful one, is the good news. I think about investing in stocks is there is always opportunity. So if you look at the small mid caps today. What you find is that 40% of them in the US, in the UK, in continental Europe, are already down more than 40% from the peak, right? In fact, you find that the percentage of small caps that are trading below one times book, which is replacement value, these are deep value situations, is higher than ever, right? In the US, higher than ever in the UK, higher than ever in continental Europe, almost there. Right. So you have a lot of things that have taken it on the chin already, a lot of things trading at very, very cheap multiples. Why not focus on that? So we've here today preferred to be picking stocks among those that have already kind of factored in a lot of the bad news that we think is coming. And those are the five thematics that we, I think, would continue to stick to from here till whenever The broader economy and the broader investment universe realizes that, you know, there is trouble at at the end of this rainbow after 525 basis points of higher interest
0: rates. I think it is an important point to consider things that are maybe a bit wrong for the phase of the business cycle you're in. You can always find these kind of candidates that are so cheap. And uh, that, that they're really worth taking a look at. Um, you know, if we had to drill down to the stock level, what would you say your top three stock picks are? After all, you are a stock picker, so let's see your top three stock stock picks.
1: Well, in a small mid caps, never advisable to, um, you know, it's never advisable to pick uh, three names um, for the very re- simple reason that uh, you have to diversify. So, what I would say is, um, look at things that are down a lot already. Right. So, John's Lang, for example, or you know, things like um, um, Hewitt, for example. Look at things that have a structural tailwinds. Maybe you can find some things in autos, Vitesco. Uh, Maybe you can find some things in infrastructure spending, where you have a lot of governments around the world uh, spending on that. US being a clear example of it. ACS is a stock. Maybe you have you can find Garp stories. You know, there, only recently, it seems like it was just yesterday, that anything with a growth story was traded on 40 times earnings. Well, that's, that's changed. And now you can find growth stories at pretty reasonable multiples. We put in our model portfolio DECRA, and it's been taken out, it's an MA story now. Um, but another such thing will be Hikma. Um and and so I think or maybe you can find things that are completely defensive value, right? So whether it's Centrica or LDC, um, a producer of poultry in Europe, or a company like Circle, right? All these things to me fit into a a portfolio today, right? Because you're either not exposed to the downside, you've already had the downside. You have a good growth valuation equation in a world where still a lot of the growth is very pricey. Look at technology and how it's recovered. Um and I think all these things are you know a much better place to be to weather whatever storm we need to face coming coming our way than trying to um, bet on things staying the course and the uh, hike in interest rates not really resulting in much of a change. I am amazed at how technology first factored in the higher discount rate, and all of a sudden, perhaps with hopes of AI being you know, a whole new uh, paradigm, forgot that tech is all about future cash flows, those have to be discounted. There's a much bigger rate discount rate today. And yet we're seeing technology back to all time highs. To me, that makes no sense.
0: The big points we've been making on our side is that even as Goldilocks probabilities have ticked up a little bit, according to our economists, we've been much more bearish on the market side, uh, given that, you know, if we are in higher for longer, that's going to be much more challenging for the purposes of discounting. uh, That's that's a problem. So um, anyway, thanks, Eduardo, for that update. And thank you all for tuning in to Morgan TV.